First Church and Parish, May 1st, 2011, Mariology by the Reverend Raleigh Weaver. I must confess right at the outset that I nearly flunked Christian theology in seminary. The primary reason was because when asked to write an essay on the theological pros and cons of using inclusive language in worship, I could only muster a rebuttal that boiled down to the simplistic conclusion that it didn't much matter what we called God if as a human race we continued to bash each other over the head in God's name. As I saw it then, the personification of the divine caused more trouble than it was worth. And so, be God a man or a woman, theology couldn't help anyone get closer to God and could only cause more heartache. After the week of dramatic news of the death of Osama bin Laden at the hands of our American military and the fallout of reactions of the American people, I think you may understand my point. What does it matter what we call God if every religion and translation of the Bible has led humans to kill each other? The way I saw it then, theological language could never be the solution because it was the problem. The detached systemization of the divine and the tendentious proclamations of world leaders of good and evil seemed a much bigger theological problem to me than whether or not we spoke about the infinite with gender-neutral pronouns. Being at an ecumenical seminary, I met evangelicals who believed strictly in the fatherhood of God, and I met Methodists and Presbyterians who embraced the brotherhood of man, and I soon realized that although I had no problem seeing the divine as gender neutral, even when the masculine pronouns were being used, many of my classmates understood the divine in much more literal masculine terms. In Hebrew, we learned that the biblical names for God were gender-neutral. In Old Testament classes, we learned about the 18 women in the Bible. And in exegetical research classes, we learned to read the pauses and contradictions in the biblical text and see that even Paul spoke of women helping him in his ministry in the same letters that he wrote, they should not speak in church. These were mind-blowing realizations to some of my fellow classmates, and it would be an, wouldn't be an understatement to say that not one of us left seminary with an identical picture of the divine to inform our consciousness. In my final year of seminary, I went with a group of students and teachers to explore the monastic movement in France and saw with my own eyes the veneration of Mary that is evident in all the churches in France. Having grown up in a Methodist church, I was not familiar with visual representations of Jesus or God, but only symbolic ones. So aside from the words of the Father, any physical perception of God as a man was quite unfamiliar to me. It was only when I witnessed with my own eyes the closer connection of Mary icons to the congregation and the nurturing witness those icons provided, that I personally began to ponder the pros and cons of viewing the divine as either masculine or feminine. In 1977, at the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, a unanimous resolution was passed on the subject of women and spirituality. This resolution called all Unitarian Universalist congregations and individuals to examine their sexist assumptions, attitudes, and language and to explore and eliminate 
Religious Roots of Sexism in Myths, Traditions, and Beliefs. Out of that resolution came the development of the curriculum Cakes for the Queen of Heaven, which Betsy Stephen brought to First Church, and that group continues to meet. The Cakes group is a spiritually centered group that seeks to enfranchise women's spirituality in a predominantly masculine-centered faith tradition. Now flash forward 34 years. Where are we today in our understanding of the divine? Arguably, some of us have, a detached, have detached ourselves from any understanding of God whatsoever. Others of us envision a completely non-theistic divinity, and I imagine still others of us embrace a god or goddess framework for a personal divinity. In honor of Mother's Day, I thought we might explore the divine feminine and what value a personal understanding of the divine might have for our spiritual development. The study of Maryology is primarily a Catholic exploration of Mary, the Mother of God, with theological conversations focused on her virginity at and after the birth of Jesus. Protestants, as in most things, have a decidedly conflicted relationship with Mary, with John Calvin calling the praise of Mary in the Catholic Church blasphemous, and Martin Luther and much later Karl Barth calling the devotional relationship to Mary an idolatrous heresy. And yet throughout history and many different cultures, the legends of Mary have served as inroads to understanding Jesus and interacting with God. In Islam, Mary is considered the most righteous woman of all time, and the 19th chapter of the Quran is named for the Virgin Mother and gives a complete account of her life. In Mexico, the most popular and by far the most visited image of the is the icon of the Virgin of Guadalupe. According to the tradition, an ordinary man named Juan Diego, while on a hill in a desert near Mexico City, saw a vision of a young woman. The lady told him to build a church on that spot where they were standing, so Juan Diego went to the local bishop, who didn't believe him, and asked, and asked him for some proof. Then Juan Diego returned to the same spot and saw that vision again, and he told the lady of his vision that the bishop needed proof, and she told him to pick roses behind him. And suddenly a rose bush sprang up on that spot, and he picked all the roses he could carry and hid them in his coat. Returning to the bishop, he went to show the roses and instead found in his coat a picture of his vision. The icon is on display at the Basilica of Guadalupe, even today, and is the central story uh, and personage that draws believers to the Catholic faith in Mexico. In medieval Europe, several images of dark-skinned Madonnas emerged all throughout Europe and were also heavily visited pilgrimage sites that nourished the spirits of countless believers in the same way that the Virgin of Guadalupe has. In modern times, those black Madonnas have inspired the hearts of many otherwise disenfranchised believers. So perhaps it is idolatry, but with so many individuals clamoring to see these icons, you must wonder what is missing in the visions of Jesus on the cross and God in a cloud, and why people may just need a feminine face of God. For thousands of years, monastic religions have held up masculine images of God the Father for adherents to relate to. 
God is often defined as being dominant over mankind, powerful enough to move mountains, a father protector and provider whose ways are too high and too good for his children to understand. What might have happened if the goddess had been the default descriptor for humanity? Would it have nurtured rather than provided for? Would the feminine divine have remembered all of her offspring instead of blessing only a chosen few? Would the goddess have ruled over them or, having created and gave birth to them, comforted instead of protected? Would the differences have been so pronounced or more subtle or not at all? How different might the world be if for thousands of years we had held up images of the Divine Mother, nurturing all humanity instead of a patriarchal God who rewards and punishes us for our wrongdoings? What might the Divine Mother have to teach us? In the fictional novel, The Secret Life of Bees, that I read from this morning, the otherwise disenfranchised female characters incorporate the divine feminine in their view of themselves. And isn't that what we all do, take the icons and the images that are offered to us as mentors for our lives? What if those mentors we found were different? What if the mother god was part of our deeper connection to the divine? How might that shift our cultural consciousness? The legends of Mary are quite beautiful, how her parents prayed for her birth, how devout and deeply thankful she was for the divine gifts offered her. Even in the Islamic story we read of how she could manifest the food she needed, we see her faith as a powerful personal characteristic. If our understanding of the divine was this unwavering faithfulness, how might we model our own asking and receiving? How might our asking and waiting and hoping change? If we were able to internalize this divine mother and relate to her in every second of our lives, how might our prayers shift? How might our ability to ask for what we need shift? How might our love for our neighbor and ourself shift? And for those of us who have long abandoned any theistic understanding of God, how might a personal connection to a God that you imagine in your own image change your conversation with yourself? What if we were able to carry with us always the always affirming Mother God, the healing loving Mother God, the unconditionally loving Mother God, the one who sees and accepts us as we are. How might we heal the wounds of the earthly mother if we shape an ideal mother in our heart? What messages might she tell us in our hopeless moments? How might she help us celebrate on our happiest days? What surprised me most of the Madonna image as I saw in France was how they seemed so much closer to the people how God seemed so high above, but the Madonna felt close enough to touch. How might a divine within you change your perception of God? Margaret Fuller once wrote that male and female represent two sides of the great radical dualism that are perpetually passing into one another. Fluid hardens to solid, solid rushes to fluid. There is no holy masculine man, no purely feminine woman. Only as individuals 
can we make sense of the divine in our lives, but I am certain that Margaret Fuller's words are correct, and there is no purely masculine nor purely feminine in us, and so I'm quite certain the divine is both. With that truth in our understanding, how do we go about balancing the thousands of years of patriarchal language without occasionally acknowledging that women too were made in the image of God? What I suggest is this. Imagine for yourself who is behind the gifts you receive in this life. Draw a picture or muster some words. Who is behind the serendipitous events? the wonderful beauty of the earth, the inspirations of your dreams. Rather than writing some systematic understanding of the divinity, I say create your own icon, illustrate your inner god or goddess, and celebrate it this Mother's Day. Thank it and bless it. Talk to it, carry it with you in your heart, allowing that muscle of love to become part of you. As we go forward on this Mother's Day, let us embrace our earthly mothers and fathers and our spiritual ones as well knowing if we follow our own hearts and give it voice we may just see the face of the divine and feel its presence in our lives <laughs>